pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. Welcome to Declarations of War. We are your hosts, Alexei of Card, Andy Astronaut. Hello, hello. And Artemis Albosa. Howdy, howdy. Reminder, guys, check out youtube.com slash C slash Alexei of K. Leave your best, funniest, most insightful comment on our episode highlights, and you will be eligible to win a, an exclusive CCP partner skin. Ooh, we have a packed show for you today, the highlight of which will be announcing the winners of the 2021 Black Mark Awards. We do have a few pieces of business before we get to that, but man, it was a rather exciting year for the awards. We had a new category, and a lot of these categories were extremely tight. So find out if your vote won by listening to the rest of the show. Before we get into that, though, we had an interview with CCP Rotati. It got a lot of attention on the last episode. And we put out a poll. I think this poll has had more response than any other poll we've had so far. Uh, Literal hundreds of votes. And we asked a very similar format to our interview with the Batani, which is the episode, or excuse me, two episodes prior to that. Do you see Ritati less favorably, more favorably, or pretty much the same after listening to the interview? Not a plurality, but 47% of respondents saw Rattati less favorably uh, by the end of the show than when they started, with an even split between more favorably and pretty much the same. Now, Andy, you did a lot of background research for the Rattati interview, and I asked some but not all of your questions because we were really tight on time. Uh, Thank you for doing that, A. B, have you had a chance to listen to it? What was your opinion of, of the interview, and how do you read this poll? Yeah, so I did get a chance to listen to the episode. Um, it's actually nice because I listened to it. I was like a week late listening to it. So um, I actually kind of um, still fairly fresh in my mind. Um, I think listening to the episode, I, I was actually positive um, for most of it. Um, kind of the beginning, uh, their take on... I, I don't know. I, I feel like every time I listen to Rattati, I think at least intention-wise, his intentions are good. I think some of the changes they've implemented are not necessarily, um, don't necessarily achieve what they want to achieve, but I think that like the intentions are at least there. And I also think that Rattati seems to be really honest with the player base, at least um, as far as like every interview I've heard with him. Um that being said, uh, some of the questions I put in there towards the end were kind of tougher ones um, because I wanted to hear kind of their take. And I think some of the directions or ways they're hoping to fix problems in um, now are maybe not ways that I would love to see them fixed. Um, like one of the things in there that was kind of just touched on was like um, the implementation of like harder PPE that may be kind of gated in some way. Um, and then the that they like where marauders are. Uh, I know you were kind of in agreement with him, but I hate marauders and (laughs) how marauders are right now and uh, kind of their impact on the game in general. So that I hearing that was kind of disheartening. So I don't know. I I feel like maybe the things that I want like 
granted that usually that's coming from nano fleets and that's not, you know, the general population are maybe not entirely in line with what CCP is hoping for. So I, I actually voted as well and mine was pretty much the same, but I think it was because it was like a little bit more favorable and a little bit less favorable. Arnus, what about you? How do you read the player reaction to the interview? Because this got a lot of play. C-Speed did us a solid and really advertised it. Um, and they were very generous with their time. And to Andy's point about how honestly and openly they answered some really hard questions. Um, some people liked those answers. Some people didn't. Artemis, what was your read from the community? I mean, uh, I I do not have a popular opinion on this. It did there is a reason that CCP or other game devs do not do honest and open interviews without having pre-read the questions. And it's because people will come in with toxicity and will let their confirmation bias lead their nose. And I think this poll is people who were angry at Ratati when they started listening to the interview found some reason in the interview because we talked about a breadth of topics with really tough questions and thought, aha, he is a terrible person, and then continued to hate him afterwards. That's my take on this poll. I don't think many people are going to like it, but that's where I'm at. <laughs> I, I'm, uh, I think that's not necessarily a bad take. I kind of feel... So one thing that I think you see is anytime something Eve-related reaches kind of the general larger Eve audience, there's a lot more negativity. Like, I think specifically of Reddit, right? I think anything I've ever posted to Reddit that's been Eve-related has been met with, like, some level of negativity. Um, And anything I don't post on Reddit, that same exact thing will get much more kind of positive views. And I think that's the same thing for kind of a lot of the Eve official channels. Like... Eve's uh, Twitter, if you ever just like scroll through the comments, it'll be like, you know, what's your favorite ship? And it'll be like three people saying their actual like favorite ship. And then another two to five people saying your game's stupid or like, uh, like NFTs are dumb. Don't make NFTs or whatever kind of thing that has nothing to do with the post. Uh, so I think that's a fair assessment that kind of, you know, they did us a solid they didn't pre-read any of the questions, which, you know, like you said, is not common for a gaming developer. Uh, and in my mind, really appreciate it. I'm like really appreciative of that. Um, but yeah, like I think they, they also did a big job like pushing it out. And I think that means it got a broader audience. And I think that means that it also was open to a lot more people that were just kind of like, I'm upset at Eve or I'm, you know, blaming this person for all the changes in Eve I don't like. I mean, let's face facts. I'm sure a lot of these listeners were, you know, goons or Matani fans who had a certain view of him. And I think for those people, there wasn't a lot in here to point at to like really change their mind, even if they were open to changing their mind. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, like I said, my mind was pretty much the same. Like my opinion of him didn't change. I think I heard some things that I liked, some things I didn't like. I appreciated the honesty, um, and that was the biggest thing to me. So I think if you don't like his opinions, um, you can at least appreciate that part. Um, but I would say that, you know, again, for me, that kind of washes out. Like, I didn't agree with some of the the takes, but I also think that, like, that was one of the most honest opinions I've heard from a game developer, like, ever. You know, it was very candid, so... 
Yeah, in the yeah. end, I think like with especially with the NFT things, it's fantastic that I think Andy, you wrote those questions to be asked during the interview, and CCP answered them so honestly because literally the same day we published the podcast, Hilmar had some interview with some Japanese like thing, or maybe it was the day before, I forget, and it the perspective in that interviewer that the community took from that interview was very pro NFT. And then you have Rattati just coming in being like, yeah, it's a thing. We want to see how it works. We don't have any concrete plans. We did a test. We're, we're seeing what happens with it. I think that we got very lucky that that question was in there, given the timing relative to everything else. Actually, that article came out literally that day, and I was heartbroken we didn't have time to address it directly. Not that I really think Rattati could have said much because Hilmar, Hilmar outranks him. But Hilmar was definitely came up pretty strongly for play to earn, which is something we didn't directly touch on. Um, but I think from Ritati's point of view, there may be um, a little more skepticism among the rank and file CCP devs about the application of NFTs and stuff to Eve and blockchain to Eve but they're trying to keep an open mind about it and see if there is a way to work it in because it is a hot button thing. But to Rattati's point, it's not like they're just, you know, throwing them in willy nilly. It's kind of proof of concept stuff right now. They're not going all in. But it does, you know, it's a bit of a contradiction. Um, I would have loved to have had time to go into that, but you know, I also think it's not exactly a, a pressing concern in that doesn't sound like they have any other specific NFT or blockchain or crypto related policies, programs, patch notes, etc. So I think it might be a while before we even have to dig back into that topic. I will say that in combination with Rattati's interview, we asked miners, you know, okay, the prosperity patch is out. How bad was it? Is this as bad as you thought? The overwhelming majority said, no, it was not as bad as I thought. So I think in terms of individual player experience, it's not as bad, you know, in large part due to, you know, changes driven by player feedback. But, you know, there's also some things that they need to stick the landing of, like compression, which we pressed Rattati about pretty hard. It's ultimately going to come down to the details like that, because that is a huge part of the economy. Well, <laughs> compression will affect cap production and we may need a lot of caps produced because right now snuff's dread fleet is trapped in tribute uh or excuse me in veil of the silent and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon they've tried numerous times to break it out of a very very thick fraternity bubble camp but every time they've taken a lot more losses than they've been able to successfully extract anyone the classic Beijing 08 Olympics trap. Dug several large holes, ostensibly for Olympic pools, but really just covered them with leaves. The dreadfully fell right into them. I had not heard this reference before. I was super confused when I saw it on the show note. There's an old Onion news article back... Uh, or actually, excuse me, a video thing back in the day. Ah, alright. Okay. Yeah, the, I feel like the timing works out because we are, for some reason, having more Beijing Olympics. Didn't really feel like it was that long ago, but here we are. Can I have a hot take? Yeah, go for it, Artemis. Who cares? They're caps. These aren't. This isn't M2. These aren't supers. They're caps. 
Snuff could log yeah. them all back in, they could all die, and they still would have won the Isk War and it would have been a successful dread bomb. Who cares? Yeah, so what's the what's the backstory? I actually entirely missed this. I've kind of been away from Eve a little bit the last like two weeks, so I entirely missed um how the caps got stuck there in the first place. There was a dread bomb. They successfully killed two titans, a super, and then a few facts and stuff. So, like, we, they killed 300 bill worth of caps, super caps, and miscellaneous other stuff. They could log all the their dreads back in, which are guaranteed to be insured. They're dread bomb dreads. They're probably not that stupid expensive. Lose them all, and they'll still be fine. I'll tell you why, because it's not an ISK issue. It's a supply chain issue. There's not a lot of cap production going on right now. So if they right now while they have all the dreads pinned down, they can't apply them elsewhere, which will play into our cloud ring contract, which which we'll be discussing in a few minutes. And if they lose all of them, it's going to be a while before they can bring their dread bomb capabilities back to par. And that is one of their key advantages as an alliance. Okay, well, you make a good point. (laughs) I mean, yeah, they'll have the ISK to replace them, but it could be months, realistically. It's a long time to wait to be able to do the core thing that your alliance does. Well, I mean, they might just have to wait until the fourth by the looks of things. Yeah, possibly. Um, so there is some um, movement in Pochvin. We're actually gearing up to go fight it in a second. Um, probably as soon as this episode is done, we'll be logging into fleets. But Rokapel's Fortazars are under attack, and Snu- or, excuse me, Fraternity seems to be committing very hard to them. There's posts about it from their alliance leader and everything that they're going to pull out all the stops to try to finally kill the Rokapel, Fortazars, and Pochvin, which would leave them in a the dominant position as, I think, the only Fortazar holder in the region anymore? Yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah, so this is kind of like do or die for Pochvin which is kind of, you know, its own little self-contained thing, but it's a notable power struggle. They've fought several times. Sometimes fraternities attacking, sometimes they're defending. Every time it's been a huge fight and a big bloodbath, but the Fortazars keep getting saved. But this is a very public, very forceful commitment from fraternity that they want to knock it down. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and I believe this is also over the holiday as well, which may be part of why it's kind of planned for this time. Is I think I think it's right around Chinese New Year, so um, they're telling members to kind of you know cancel their plans and be here because people will have a lot more off time. Um, but you know whether or not they get people because of the holiday, or whether or not people are busy because of the holiday and not available for fleets, I think is still up in the air and uh, up for question. I'm honestly like, is it, do they literally seriously have a bunch of time off of work and stuff? I'm way too unfamiliar with like the culture and don't know. Um, I'm not fully sure there, but I do know that it is holiday. We'll have about at least some off time. I don't know. Do we think the timers that happened, man, when is the freaking big football game in America? Super Bowl. Yeah, when is that? <laughs> Hard to miss. The big football game in America. Hey, man, like, leave me alone. <laughs> Go uh, local sports team. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's, that's February, it's, though, right? I'm not wrong. No, you're not wrong. I think it's, what is it, this Sunday? 
Okay, so it wouldn't you impact. Can, you it. can tell we're all very into football. Uh, me, it is February thirteenth. So yeah, I mean, oh, just plenty have the of playoffs. Time. They'll have a bye week and then they go. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because around some holidays for the U.S., you definitely see increased activity, like around New Year's time. We saw a lot more people, I think, um, kind of in between Thanksgiving when a lot of students came home. I saw a lot more people in space around those times. Um, But then other times you don't really see many people, like uh, on Christmas Day. Like I saw very few people on, even though I, I think I locked in for a little bit. So I don't know. It's it's kind of up in the air. I'm not sure if we'll see more people or less people. I don't know enough about kind of the environment and atmosphere there to know if they get a bunch of time off or not, or if people are going to be like, I don't want to play Eve. I want to, you know, go see my friends. Or if people are like, yeah, I'm going to log in and kill these forts that we've been trying to kill for, you know, almost a year now or six months or whatever it's been. Well, I think the very interesting thing is between the snuff dreads and the Snavola stuff, that big showdown with Army of Mangoes seems to have kind of fizzled. I mean, Army of Mangoes kind of fizzled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Like, there, is, there isn't a good target anymore. They're all dispersed among different alliances and groups. So it's, their stuff is dead. Their alliance is dead. You could go after an individual corp or two, but Fraternity themselves, unless I misunderstood their original ping, weren't interested in that to begin with. Like, there used to be this narrative back when AOM and Fraternity both were growing on tranquility that they're burying the old hatchet and moving on from any rivalries that came over from Serenity. Um, If memory serves, part of the stated impetus, whether you believe it or not, for Fraternity's more recent aggressive actions towards AOM was because they thought AOM wasn't doing this and was holding grudges and was going after them because of stuff that happened on Serenity. But all that to say, AOM's dead. (laughs) Well, I figured once the whole Ranger Regiment thing happened, the conflict would kind of transfer over there. I mean officially at least mango still has tons of sob to go kill if they wanted to but you know it depends on whether you believe that that post is just a pretext or if that actually is the reason it sounds a little weird to be the reason to me but yeah i mean they could easily claim victory and go home that's true we have a couple other conflicts to touch on really quickly um triumvirate after having gotten kicked out of cloud ring is now engaging Fireco in the south. So that's interesting, especially Legion of Death and a lot of their supporting alliances. And it's been a bit back and forth. Try had the early advantage, but I think their gains are now being reversed, if I understand the dynamic correctly. And then in the north, we have NC Dot, apparently super bored, wanted to quote Glass Venal, end quote, and have started up a conflict with Brotherhood of Spacers a.k.a. Boss, and Boss is bringing in a lot of the old anti-fraternity alliances together, which, you know, they're sort of formed a lot of relationships with. And they are, I mean, holding a lot better than anyone expected them to in Venal. Um, I think they will probably eventually lose, but in the meantime, they're making NC Dot bleed hard for that territory. Yeah, that's actually surprising because when you think of just kind of um, PvP prowess or at least PvP reputation, I don't think of boss as being particularly scary and NC, I think of being, you know, pretty well hardened. Yeah, I think they underestimated boss and 
probably didn't move the material and resources they needed to move in, like the cap support and super caps and stuff to really get the job done right. I and mean, if you want to just would... talk sub cap small gang, I mean, boss is friends with road is friends with psychotic tendencies is friends with a lot of people that are very good in that environment. And they're just able to compete with the defender advantage. Maybe I'm missing something. Um, but every single battle report that I've seen over these four Dazars, and that's ostensibly what this fight is over. I did some research into like, what is there to kill? Cause we're talking about venal. It's a NPC null sec. So there is no sov. All of the Athenors and the money moons were already taken over by fraternity. So those all died last year. Boss and none of the groups who live in here are big industrial powers. They're not building anything. There are no Sotios to kill. So the only thing here that, that is worthwhile are Fortazars. And every time they go to attack one, NC is using just a massive ball of carriers. And then they're boating their fighters over and doing the the typical let's assault a citadel from another citadel a thousand kilometers away type of thing. Um I think the most recent battle report I saw, which was super interesting, was when NC did this. They also had a mutant fleet in support, but they didn't have fraternity with them. And so the numbers were like 300 on NCPL and friends, and then 200 on the defenders, because Boss brought in Brave Collective as well, in addition to Roca Pell and Co. And they, they brought out it was crazy. They brought out a bunch of Feroxes, but then they had super carriers that they were using to reclone into. So they used the new reclone modules on the super caps, and whenever a Ferox died, they just instantly reship. So you go through this battle report, and there are people with like two, three, four Ferox losses. And what it let them do is they could hold the field on their Fortizar. Their Fortizar put pressure of its own, but then they could also just trade with munins endlessly because they maintained that critical mass through the reships. Um, and so I think that is like weird things like that are going to be why this fight goes on longer than you might expect. If you hear an intention of a, a big group going to glass a region it's because the defenders, they want to fight. This isn't like the glassing of tribute where NCPL wanted to go to drone lands. Like they're like, well, okay, now's a good time to move. The defenders want to fight. They're looking for a fight. They're going to find creative ways to do it. The attackers brought out the big guns. They aren't bringing out super caps. That would end this very quickly. But they are bringing out carriers. They're putting them on the field. They're using munins. They're using top-of-the-line stuff. Just the defenders are really freaking scrappy. Yeah, well, That's how they won their most recent fight, but that, that's not how they won all of them. And I think you did kind of touch on it. Like They just did the classic, let's send some fighters at range. But it's counterable with bosses' numbers, especially what they're able to bring with allies. If CCP, or excuse me, if NC Dot really wants to break them, they're going to have to commit probably a lot harder. Yeah, I also think it's interesting to hear someone actually using kind of those tactics with the super carriers because I have yet to hear of someone actually using them in that way, kind of like as they're intended um, since their release, like. We talked about how that was a potential thing that could happen, how that might work, how it might be helpful. Um, but I really hadn't seen anyone do it. It's the same thing with like the the fleet warp changes. When those first came out, half the people were like, meh, this, nobody is going to use this. This is meaningless. Other people were like, this is going to change the game. Just wait till people figure it out. 
I still haven't found anyone who's figured it out. Maybe Bjorn B has used it a couple times for some of his novelty fleets. But other than that, I haven't seen it in any sort of large-scale warfare. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the only place I've seen it is for kind of novelty-type stuff when it first came out, and then I haven't seen it since then. So I, I think, like you said, no one has figured out how to use it effectively in a way that's not just kind of novelty or for that kind of sake. I think it can be done. I think there's ways, but whether that's practical most of the time or whether the opportunity to capitalize on that comes, I think is the the big question there. I would imagine if if based on what Rattati said in our last interview, where he's like, hey, we're probably going to buff battleships so Baltech fleet makes a return, I could imagine the fleet warping being super critical for keeping Baltech fleets safe from bombers. Because even back, I'm remembering like World War B, the big deal was your Typhoon fleet didn't anchor by a- approaching or keeping at range. You orbited your anchor at 30 that way, when the bombers came in, they only got a small portion of the fleet instead of the whole thing. So I could imagine using the fleet warp mechanics to spread your fleet out if you're a battleship fleet in order to be less susceptible to bombs, probably being the most widespread use of the mechanic. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Like warp everybody in like the big grid pattern and then no one person is in the middle kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, apologies for the tangent. What in the world were we talking about? <laughs> We're about to move on to our contracts. It's been a while since we've had contract updates, and we have quite a few to go. We've been busy. Uh, first up, Nisua. We got hired to sort of attack Nisua itself and some of the surrounding systems. It was the first low-sec contract we've had in a while. Kind of showed. Uh, we hadn't done low-sec gate camps. We predictably lost a couple ships to gate guns. <laughs> You know, just pilots a bit a bit rusty fighting in the low sec environment outside of Tama. And uh yeah, it was kind of a slow contract. Targets weren't exactly plentiful. We did wind up doing about uh just under seven and a quarter billion, which is not too bad for two weeks' work. Would have been nice to do a little bit more, but you know, there's a certain amount of target availability that you have to have. Tama wasn't included in the contract area. And that's the most target-rich place in the area. So we did what we could with what we had. We killed a fair bit. We tried to reinforce some structures of the Nisua cartel, which is the sort of the owning alliance in the area. But unfortunately, all their stuff was timed for late Pacific time zone, like Korean Australian time zone. So we really couldn't do much to that. Uh, we did wind up popping a POS. That was probably the structure kill highlight of the campaign. Yeah, I mean, the fact that all their... Excuse me, one week's work. One week's work. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was shorter. So that's actually pretty good numbers for one week. Um, Yeah, it's great. Yeah, what I was going to say is I think that them being in that time zone is probably also part of why it was a little quieter and a little bit more difficult to find targets. They're very much like not our strong time zone uh, when they're most active. Yeah, we wound up just like picking up scrap all our kills, the occasional miner. They were like real fleet on fleet type action. It was cool. Killing the boss was nice. You know, you, you take what you can get. Uh, now we're up in Geminit. This is an ongoing long-term contract. We're focusing in southern Geminit, uh, not BWF, which is the main entry area, but the uh, the low-sec connector. And uh, yeah, that's not going so great. 
uh, to be transparent with the audience. We made a lot of mistakes in the first week of the contract. It took a lot of big losses. Um, it's like sloppiness. Um, yeah, really no other way to put it. And then our opponents in the area, Tissue and Arcos Corp primarily, they were very good at taking advantage of those weaknesses and just accelerating and escalating fights at like really rapid breakneck paces that we just couldn't adapt to with pilots, you know, sort of out of position or not reacting fast enough. Or in one guy's case, uh, one of our logistics dudes who is joining us for the fleet, not actually in the Alliance, just decided to like take a walk from his computer real quick mid fight and didn't tell anybody. So he didn't rep and destabilized our logi ball. Not great. Um, so all that together, we wound up digging ourselves a pretty big hole, but we've been slowly working our way out of it ever since. Um, got a couple nice kills. We're lowering the ADMs in the area. We've been successfully reinforcing some structures. No big decisive fights around those structures yet, but once we do, we'll be sure to let you guys know. Uh, Andy, anything to add on the Geminate contract? I don't think so. Like I said, I've been kind of away from Eve, so I've been hearing about these more or less um, kind of through watching pings, watching Discord channel, that kind of thing. I have a question. Sure. So Tissue and I forget the other people's names, but I remember their logo. It's like the little yellow ball with the other ball around it. <laughs> yeah. They um They are both very active in the defense of venal so have you guys like found opportunities where you know they have fleets out on venal timers and so you're able to take the opportunity to accomplish something relatively uncontested we tried to do that one time but wouldn't you know it the venal timer didn't actually materialize there was no fight so we wound up like going all the way up there for nothing and we didn't really have the opportunity to do anything back the other way because they just sent their fleet home too other than that, we haven't really monitored the timers too closely, but yeah, it's it's kind of been on our radar to do that. We just need to know when fights are happening, and we'll we'll try to get some fleets involved up there, and maybe send some malls to do some things in the area. Generally speaking, reinforcing stuff hasn't really been the issue. We've gotten actually some some nice skirmishes attempting to reinforce nodes, or excuse me, uh, I hubs for node fights, and attempting to reinforce Athenor stuff like that. It's really like when the timers come back around, the two of them and some of the low-sec allies, high-sec miners, they can actually field a pretty big fleet, about double what we can. And like I said, they're very, very competent. So it's a pretty uphill battle for us to actually make any strategic progress. It's more just us trying to like keep the pressure on, see if maybe you know they don't form quite as strong one of these days. Maybe we actually could get a fight out of them, that kind of thing. Or if they're all docked up and there's nothing to do. <laughs> Now, while all that's been going on, we have taken some more contracts on top of the ongoing contract, because like I said, there wasn't always stuff to do. So we had signed up for a wormhole defense versus a member of Karma Fleet who just decided to move into someone else's wormhole. That person decided they did not want that to happen. So we got hired to basically nip that invasion in the bud. And we actually executed really well on this contract. We got in, locked hole control down, popped a staging Astra House, and then kept hole control fairly well right up to the defensive timers. And there was just really no opportunity for any forces to come in to uh, to to break the defenders. So 
we held strong on that one. Everything worked out great. Fleet was firing on all cylinders. It actually felt really good in contrast to how things had been in Geminit. Um, everything kind of went right for us on that one, as opposed to everything going wrong for us. Yeah, which I also think is kind of interesting because in the past we've had some tough wormhole contracts where um, things have been a little difficult, but I feel like from everything I heard, everything I watched, this one seemed to be executed really, really well. People kept whole control, rolled the right things, you know, kept kind of the advantage that we had numbers-wise was, like, I think they brought kind of a unique fleet. Like, my understanding was the the timer was kind of EU and... um, we didn't have the numbers for kind of the original fleet that was called. So instead they brought RR Dommies, which work really well in lower numbers because you have the reps for each other, but you also have um, big drone damage that works pretty well. Yeah, it was a good audible called by the FC there. Um, just made a lot of sense and it enabled us to take out the Astra with, like you said, any not the biggest fleet. Yeah, and it's one of those things where I think that's kind of where Noir normally shines is kind of like that impromptu kind of thinking like this is what we have how can we make it work if this if this is possible you know what are what can we do to make that happen kind of thing instead of oh we don't have enough people for you know our and fleet i guess we're going to stand down kind of thing yeah exactly we also took another defense contract this time in cloud ring there was a fortizar owned by shadow ultimatum that was on its final timer by snuff actually uh, this is where their Dreadfleet being pinned down came into play. They committed a fairly large Legion fleet with a couple of shacks in it. And they brought in some Dreads, not a lot. I think it was like, this is not an accurate count, but I think I spotted four to six caps on field at any one time. And the defenders were Shadow Ultimatum. They were also backed up by Brave a few other random small groups and us. We played Bomb Run for the first time in a long time. So we had almost the full wing of hounds and we paired them up with some micro jump destroyers and we went to town. Every time our bomb recycled, we fired another one into their ball. Now these were legions, so the bombs didn't exactly do a lot of damage. <laughs> bombs do damage based on signature radius and legions have fairly small signature radiuses. So we're just kind of scratching the paint there, but that was not truth for the Lashaks, where we managed to do top damage to them. And while they were fighting and being bubbled by the brave Munin fleet, taking all that bomb damage made those Lashaks extremely vulnerable to Munin fire. And they actually lost most, if not all, of the Lashaks that they had brought. And then at that point, the Legions were kind of fighting a bit of an uphill battle. I was frankly shocked that Brave didn't take that many losses there. They, uh, that's a lot of legions. <laughs> like a lot, a lot of legions. Were and they beam legions? They were. So they had the range on them, and the Munins were playing that appropriately, so they didn't, they didn't try to kite them out that much because they really couldn't. So they were staying and trading. They just weren't trading very well. I think Brave's logistics pilots must have been flying out of their minds to save some of those guys. But after, I think, four bomb, three or four bomb runs we did, uh, with our last bomb run, the Legion fleet warped off the field. I had no idea what their hit points were at at that time. It couldn't have been that bad, but my guess is they were just feeling a lot of pressure. And so as soon as our bombs landed and cleared the bubbles, I think they took that opportunity to leave. 
there were a few stragglers that got killed and they abandoned their caps, which also got killed. And nice. port reset. Yeah, I mean, I think one part of the the trade and why they aren't trading so well is, um, you know, snuff, especially from the kill mails, you can see they were using a lot of expensive pods. And that works great when you're in low second, you can get your pod off. So your loss, you know, is the cost of your legion. But looking at the kill mails, they were losing a lot of pods that were expensive as well. Um, and when you have enough mutants to alpha, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it makes it more difficult, right? Like using um, the right pods can make that kind of critical mass higher. Um, but assuming that Brave had enough mutants to alpha no matter what, um, they were just trading Isquise much poor, more poorly because of that. Um, mm-hmm. Can't keep them up. They're getting alpha anyways, and you're also losing expensive pods at the same time. So even if you're trading one-to-one, just the cost is not on your side. Um, so that could be part of it. Um, I know, like you said, they didn't have a ton of caps. I saw that they had like one fax and uh, that fax died. I don't know if they had more that got off or um, anything like that, but that could have been also a determining factor if their fax wasn't holding um, the legions even through uh, fax reps. I would also have called to <laughs> get everyone off kind of thing. Well, it's really hard against that much alpha. You You have to rep the right target as soon as they broadcast or they're probably going to die in the next volley. Right. Nice 10 second window where you need to lock them up and get your reps on. Right. And that's also kind of where bomb runs can come in handy. Even if they're not doing that much damage, the nice thing about bomb runs is that everyone's taking damage at the same time. And so, you know, unless people are really good about broadcasting um, and like, you know, actually saying, Oh, I'm yellow box or whatever. Um, it can get very confusing for Logi because a bomb hits six, seven people broadcast. And then, you know, the one that's actually getting primaried by the Munins maybe is the fourth broadcast down uh, by the time you figure that out, that they're actually the primary. You know, it's too late and they've already been alpha. And even if Snuff was disciplined enough not to broadcast in under those circumstances, which they may have been, if you're not repping that damage back, even if it's just chip damage, it lowers the overall hit points of your the rest of the ships in your fleet, which means the next primary the munins go for has that much less buffer to catch reps. Right. And I think, too, um, you know, when you think of snuff, one of the things that they're really good at is multiboxing and using a lot of alts. So that can also add kind of a layer of difficulty when that's the case um, and bomb damage is coming on on you know multiple tunes that someone has or something like that so yeah i i think there's you know between the munins doing high alpha um it being a null sec fight instead of a low sec fight um some of their caps being um captured or uh you know trapped i think that probably all played into it quite a bit they came close though i think the it must have been at like 25 20 percent structure before they warped off Came real close to killing that fort. Real, real close. Uh, But finally, I just want to give a quick shout out to KCLP, one of the brave FCs who gave us a mention in his AAR on Reddit. Cheers, mate. Thank you. And now for the section you've all been waiting on. The BMA winners, the Black Mark Awards. That's, believe it or not, Eve's oldest and longest running annual awards thing. Annual awards thing. Yes. It's fitting for the oldest running podcast as well. <laughs> this is only, I think, the third year we've done it, but that does beat everyone else out. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've got several categories. Some of them were new this year. Uh, some winners were fairly predictable. Some were extremely surprising. And two categories were 
Man, as close as you could come, really. One of them is, is literally off by a single vote. So we're going to go through now. I, I guess we'll uh, we'll alternate. I'll do one. Andy, you do one. Uh, Artemis, you do one. We'll give our reactions to the to the people. I'll kick it off with FC of the year. I had a pretty good idea of who this was going to be. Um, the nominees were Asher Elias from Goonswarm, Jay Amazingness from Goonswarm, and Bjorn B., the streamer slash FC who's at this moment kicking off a high sec poco war, which we'll talk about in one of the next episodes. Now I knew Bjorn was super popular, but you know, with goons winning the great war in 21 with what they would call the Vietnam war, also known as world war B three. I knew it was going to be Jay or Asher. I thought the only chance Bjorn might have to win was if somehow Imperium split votes between Jay and Asher. But sure enough, Asher Elias, congratulations, winner of FC of the year. I mean, the math does work out, though. If if the votes had been split evenly between Jay and Asher, Bjorn would have won. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, I, I was kind of in the same boat. I was fully expecting it to be one of the two Goon FCs. Um, can't remember who I voted for. I think I voted for Jay. Was it Jay that was on the show or was it Asher that was on the show? It was Asher, I think. Okay. See, I my my memory failed me. I was like, I'll vote for the one that was on because maybe um, you know, our viewership or listeners will like that name will come to mind and they'll be like, Oh, the the goon that was on. That Wait, was so there. that's how you were so right? You were metagaming. Uh no no no, not for the other one. Man, okay, audience, uh, for, for, for some perspective one. here, before recording, I was going through these results. And I'm like, man, I got one of these things right. What is going on? Andy goes through. He's counting through. He's pretty comfy. He's like, yeah, yeah. No, I got nine out of ten. And I'm like, wow. He's like, yeah, I just got my, you know, my finger on the pulse of the community. You know, you're freaking metagaming. No, only on this one. All my oh, other ones, I yeah, was mm, very confident on. This much is the trust. only one. Very, yeah. Mm-hmm. Continue. <laughs> Go ahead. Artemis, the metagame is part of Eve. We all know this. I didn't metagame, but also Alec is right, so don't judge me for it. <laughs> Andy, who won yeah. Doctrine of the Year? So Doctrine of the Year, the options were Munins, Wolfpack, or Marauder Horde. And there was no question that it was Munins. Uh, we've already brought up Munin fleets literally in this podcast, and so I think that there's just about zero surprise that it's Munins. We also brought up Marauders, and Marauders are cooler, and I voted Marauders, and the community's wrong. So here's my counter argument to that. Um, number one, Marauders. I hate Marauders, so they're worse. Uh, you should not vote for them. Number two, I don't really think of Marauders as a doctrine, right? Marauders are a very good one verse mini ship, a very good like get out of my you know home space. I'm gonna push you out of you know my staging. They're not like a great doctrine ship, right? Because they don't get reps. Like if you Bastion, you can't receive logi and that alone doesn't really make them a doctrine so you're not going to say oh let's bring out our 30 marauders like maybe it would be scary but it's just like not generally what i would consider a doctrine right i think of as a i think you are you might be right that they're not a proper doctrine but your argument is wrong because bombers also don't get reps and i don't think anybody's going to say they aren't a doctrine well, look the at thing with, the thing of Marauders, the way they've been doctrinized is that they've been kind of like deputized for home defense, not necessarily by themselves, but in groups of four to six. 
And at that scale, they don't really need Logi because they can local rep with their Bastion. So in that sense, I yeah. think NullSec alliances have been using them very effectively at like roaming gang defense, essentially. Yeah, I mean they're they're good home defense ships, but again, like I just I guess I just don't consider that a doctrine. I think of doctrines as like here everyone's going to take this and we're going to use this to either defend or attack. You know, a timer, um, a, an ESS, uh, yes, something like well, <laughs> a tackled carrier, well, maybe a Rorqual, well. Yeah, I mean, if you, that's the thing, if you have a fleet that can, like, legitimately take a Rorqual and you warp um, a Marauder onto it, you can usually take the Marauder too, if the, the fleet is, you know, not just pinning it for a content kind of thing. I don't know. Anyways, my point is, you don't see Marauders in, like, you know, 10 plus people, which is usually what I think of as, like, a Doctrine being, you know, 10, 12 mainline ships and something to support them. Um, so I just don't think of it in that way, and that's why I don't really consider it a doctrine or at least a doctrine in the traditional sense that we'd normally talk about. Well, congratulations, Munins. Uh, I didn't think there's really any doubt there because they've just been so ubiquitous, but I do think this year is the year people are going to figure out that there are counters to them and start implementing those counters more and more often. Like Ferex has come to mind, um, which we've seen and we've kind of touched on earlier in the boss NC dot fight. Like Ferexes are very effective uh, Hurricane Fleet issue is very effective against hacks. There are counters to the hack meta. I think people will start employing them more and more. Uh, track anything, any battleship with like a tracking bonus or a range bonus could also be good. Um, if they come down in price, I think you might see more battleship fleets fielded, especially defensively against hacks. But yeah, it's kind of where we're at. I think Munins will get not phased out, but I think they'll be running up against more fleets that counter them because they, they do have some counters and those counters are not exactly difficult to field. It's just a matter of like people getting used to that instead of just bringing more hacks against those hacks. I would love for Munins to become what the Serb used to be, like the canonical, we're going to go third party on this fight, we're going to bring Serbs. It should be, we're going to go third party on this fight. We're going to bring Munins. Neither, like, the attacking force Munins isn't the best option. Defending force Munins isn't the best option. But if you're looking to third party and you've got a decent-sized fleet, Munins are great because they're fast, they're maneuverable, you can get in, you can get out, you don't have to commit, and you have the, the volley behind you to actually kill things, which Serbs have always historically struggled with. You need higher numbers there, and the missile volleys are a pain in the butt, like... I would love for Munins to find a nice little niche in the, the third party realm. And I if think that they need more range happened, to do that, to be honest, but it's they're not far off from it. We'll see what direction CCB goes with battleship changes and if they make any more changes to hacks or cruiser weapons. Um, Artemis, best game update. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure the audience will be able to instantly guess which one I voted for. Your options were removing skill loss from T3 cruisers, the Marauder update, and fleet formations. Frankly, I'm surprised fleet formations got any votes, but go on. (laughs) Yeah, no, it did get a surprisingly large number of votes. Obviously, removing skill loss for T3 cruisers won. I think just the story we had earlier in the show with Snuffed Out flying their Legion fleet would not have happened if this change didn't occur. There are a lot of pilots who fly them for... Um, PVE settings or for solo stuff who are loving it. I know Zach, the old like Z-A-Q-Q, 
who does just phenomenal high quality videos has had a whole series on using T3s to go out and hunt Ishtars as an example, just inspired by this update. So it opens a whole load of doors. I don't fly T3s that much. I think Marauders are cool and I love how much that they were dying. So I voted for Marauders, but that lost. Uh, Frankly, I thought the Marauder update was more substantial as well, but I know that the skill loss for T3 cruisers was incredibly unpopular for many years. So I think it makes sense. I would like to point out that the question wasn't what was the most substantial update, what was the best update? And I would think that a lot Mm -hmm. of people, uh, at least in my camp, people that like the Nano, uh, absolutely hate the Marauder update. Like, that has been one of the biggest things. Um, I don't know if either of you have just roamed, like, random. No, I've I've heard that, yeah. But it's, uh, I mean, it's one of those things where unless you kind of purpose build your fleet around killing marauders, they're very difficult to handle even as one. And usually you don't see, you know, just one. And so it's it's more like a, you know, I think it denies, like at this point, it denies content from a lot of people. Like if we see marauder, we don't even try to fight it most of the time. We just run. Um, so it's no content for anyone. And in that sense, I think it's not a fun update in my mind. Like, again, it, it kind of just makes it worse for everyone around. I mean, I guess if people want us to leave and want to go back to farming, then, like, yes, it's good for them. Um, but in general, I think any con- any update that kind of reduces content is a bad update. I don't know. Maybe my perception is warped by, like, just the content that I consume. But I've been seeing a lot of battle reports and videos of small gangers using the Marauders and just outplaying the home defense marauders and nuking them. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's a fair point, right? Um, If you can, if you're in a position where you can escalate also with marauders, right. (laughs) Or you can escalate with marauders as a small gang force. I think that yes, they can be really powerful and you can have a lot of fun with them. Uh, But what that takes is, you know, uh, no like static. It takes rolling holes. It takes, um, you know, seeding your wormhole with marauders, which is non-trivial. Um, if you look at the nano pilots, at least that I know, um, that are putting out those videos, and you look at their losses, they're also losing a lot of marauders, which I guess is good for kind of the environment and that kind of thing. Um, but I would argue that for kind of your average player um, that's doing nano, that's not sustainable, right? Um, people already fly like fairly blingy nano ships, and that's on the order of like six hundred mil to a bill. Um, when you get into Marauders, you're spending, you know, what, three, four bill for a well-fit PvP Marauder. You yeah, can't it's basically really a carrier. Lose, yeah, you can't lose more than maybe one or two, and you're out of ISK if you're kind of the, the average nano player. Moving on to our brand new category, the Shuttlethron Award. This could be thought of essentially as fail of the year. Uh, so named because of a former NAR member. Or maybe it was not Academy. I don't think we directly recruited him. Either way, uh, he had the brilliant idea of trying to run a war target gate camp in what he thought was a shuttle, but was in fact a Megathron. So he boarded a Megathron, undocked it, warped it to a gate, and jumped through, all without realizing he was in a battleship and not a shuttle. So, the Shuttlethron Award. This one was not close. Um, there was a distinction made in the voting between Villy's leadership of Test Legacy and Poppy generally versus Poppy's loss, period, and they're you know, being disbanded. There's also a third option of fraternity leadership losing a Komodo, which is a faction titan, in their headquarters system. 
that one did get some votes, but clearly the debate was between whether Pappy losing or Villiers' leadership of Pappy was the bigger fail. And with 51.4% of the vote, Villiers' leadership of Test, Legacy, and Pappy has won the Shuttle Thrawn Award, the most epic fail of 2021. Uh, I'm sure that's not a surprise to most. I sympathize with Villy because, man, that's a really tough thing to have happen to you and to, you know, have yourself be put on the spot like that and just have the spotlight shown on what is probably your lowest point. But yeah, at the end of the day, the buck stops with Alliance leads and, you know, the top people in Pappy were driving that war specifically in tests. So there you have it. Uh, Andy Artemis, anything on that one? I, I would agree. This is very much an unsurprising result. Yeah, total together it was eighty-seven percent. So it would be it would be one of the two, like the loss in general, or particularly Villy's leadership of the coalition. Also, so. if you're if you're an Imperium member, you're happy to see that all three options for fail of the year were happy related. <laughs> <laughs> True. Although, I don't know, should fraternity even count as Pappy? I feel like they were members in theory rather than in practice. Oof. I, I mean, I think that's a fair assessment. I, if you look at how much they contributed for their size compared to how much everybody else contributed for their size, I think they by far gave minimal effort per you know member compared to every other Pappy, um, Corp Alliance, whatever, coalition member. Yeah, the, it felt like every couple of months I read about how they were going to deploy down to the war and like never really heard them doing much of anything. And then they were supposed to come down for the big push and the coalition fell apart before they even moved their super fleets. So how much did they help really? Not laying it all on their doorstep. Like, honestly, I don't, I don't know if things really would have turned out differently if they were there, but kind of feel like they were in name only members or like moral support really than direct on field support consistently. Just my perception. I'm sure we're going to get messages from fraternity members who are like, no, we were there all the time. Look at this battle report. But that's that's just my view of it. Yeah, that's well, while Alec prepares himself well. for his hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> well, time for some love. Uh, Andy, walk us through Dev of the Year. Yeah, so Dev of the Year, uh, the options were CCP Aurora, CCP Swift, or CCP Mirage. And um, it was a very close, actually, between two of the three. Um, it ended up going to CCP Aurora with 52% of the vote. Uh, Swift had um, 47% of the vote. I think this also was unsurprising to me. Um, both of them are great. Both of them are fairly new additions to CCP. Um, but I think even Swift, <clears throat> even Swift would tell you this, um, is that CCP Aurora is the one that's kind of credited with really fighting for the Alliance tournament and getting the Alliance tournament back. Um, yep. And I think by far, that's one of kind of the big highlights community wise that people were very happy about. I know I was really happy about it. I think everyone on the podcast had the same sentiment. Um, it's really well received in general from, I think the entire community. I really didn't hear much as far as negative kind of opinions at all during the entire duration of the AT. Yeah, in fact, I mean, this category actually went back and forth more than any category I looked at. And I think it's a credit to CCP Swift and his relationship with the community 
that Aurora didn't beat him out by a lot more because not only is she just active dealing with the community in general, but the bringing the AT back was so overwhelmingly popular and she was so central to it. I expected this to be a much bigger blowout, but actually they wound up being quite even. And at several points, Swift was in the lead in the voting and then, you know, Aurora kind of overtook him. So I really think that's credit to Swift and his uh, zest and verve with which he manages the community that he was able to compete with the savior of the Alliance tournament for all intents and purposes. Yeah, yeah. If I were to characterize the voters here, the intelligent voter voted for Aurora. The people who voted for Swift were just stands and Swift has a lot of stands. I mean, to his credit too, like he also helped a lot with the Alliance tournament. Right. Um, but I think yep. he's the first to say that, you know, it was already on the books as a, it's coming back, but I think he was part of, you know, helping Aurora make that a big success. And like you said, I think the fact that it's so close goes to the fact that, you know, he's very involved in the community, responding to, um, you know, Reddit posts, um, commenting, like all kinds of stuff, just involved with the community and very, very like front facing, which at any kind of game studio, I think is one of the hardest jobs because you have to deal with people who are, you know, going to be upset about this change or that change or who knows what kind of thing. So I, I think that alone, just how well he's handled um, kind of talking to the general public has been a big part of why it was so close. Artemis, community hero? Absolutely. So our options for this were, once again, CCP Aurora, as well as Imperium Nudes slash Rampage Inc., because they raised $3,000 for St. Jude's Charity, and then Frosty's OP. It's, it tagged in the options as literally the best Eve news content on YouTube. That was what she was nominated for, and I had no grounds to disagree with the people's will. So You're not wrong, um, and I want to talk about that in a little bit because feels bad, man. But anyway, the, the overwhelming winner was has got to be Imperium News Rampage Inc. Um, just the, the amount of generosity and the amount of good that occurs as a result of that sort of fundraising effort going to a good cause like St. Jude. It, it is a, a well-deserving winner. Yeah, uh, so for those who don't know, Rampage Inc. is Merkel Chen's personal Twitch channel, um, and that's where they hosted it, I believe. But it was also supported, attended, and hosted by a lot of the Imperium news crew, including Brisk and others. So kind of give them both the credit there because this, their staffs are quite intermingled. But I also think Merk deserves a lot of credit directly for getting everything together. So uh, you know, as far as any single individual, I would credit it to him, but... Really, it's a credit to everyone that participated and, and those that supported that stream as well. That's, I think, the most impressive fundraising we did in 2021 as an EVE community. I know there's usually a complex for good type thing, but this really stood out because it was 100% player organized. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, right? Is anytime you have kind of gamers coming together to raise real life money for a real life cause, I think it's always... Um, really impressive, really heartwarming, really encouraging, and like that's why I think it was by clear or by far kind of um, by far the clear winner there. All right, you wanted I to wanna, touch on something, Artemis? I want to rant about Frosties because I mean it's not wrong. So for for context here, in addition to hosting on Decorations of War, I'm also involved heavily in talking in stations, and we do a lot on YouTube as well, so it feels kind of bad man that just undeniably Frosties has better YouTube content. 
it's true though. Um, also, I'm very disappointed as a result because as part of doing work on declarations of war and talking in stations, I have to avoid or I purposefully avoid other news sources. So I'm not just copying their work and responding to responses and like going into this big echo chamber. And Frosty's is like the one channel where every time I see that video in my subscription box, I'm like, man, I want to click on that. And I can't. <laughs> I mean, I I don't listen to a ton of other Eve Media content just because I, I don't have the time to keep up with all the shows I'd like to keep up with. Even Frosty's, I'm, I won't say that I watch every video, but she is in my feed, and more often than not, I'm like, hmm, that's, that sounds interesting. What's going on there? Or I've heard about that. I know that Frosty's is going to like do a really good like encapsulation of what's going on in that region or with that alliance, so I am going to check it out. I try to credit her whenever like I bring up something I've directly heard from her show. Um, we've had her on the show as well. Probably have her back, I imagine, uh, if she's up for it. But yeah, if you're not subscribed to her, you're really missing out on some of the best news content you can get. If you're into the video content as opposed to the text content, uh, she really is a, a very quality producer, really well-researched stories, good production value on her streams. She covers several topics. None of the topics are like too long. They're like, I think, a good 10, 15 minutes a pop. It's just enough time to give you all the good information without having it be too long and lengthy. So, yeah, I, I think she's fantastic. I really, really appreciate what she does for the community. But I will say this. As far as the Community Hero Award, uh, when I made that category, the Rampage Ink stream was definitely more what I had in mind as opposed to like people who just make content like people in our community that go out there and really make a difference in the world. That's sort of what that category is for. People are allowed to nominate whoever they want for whatever reasons they want. And we'll put through the people that have the most support, but I'm very happy that rampage Inc won. I think they were the right choice this year. And like I said, full credit to them. Hope to have, Merck and maybe some of the other folks from that channel on the excuse me, on the podcast over the course of this year, as we'll try to get for all the Black Mark Awards winners. We'd love to have them back on the show. Transitioning into someone we've had on the show many times, and I'm very happy to say we have an excuse to bring him back on. Best CSM representative in by far the biggest blowout of any category outside of Doctrine of the Year. <laughs> And I think it even, yeah, it did actually it did beat, beat that it. out. Yeah. Brisk Rubal has beat out Suetonia and Mike Azariah, who got a pretty much proportional share uh, between the two of them, over 76.5% of the vote to Brisk Rubal. Once again, winning a Black Mark Award. I think he's got more than any other individual person at this point. But this one, I, I'm hard-pressed to say it's not well-earned. He's just very consistently espouses the best you could hope for in a CSM rep. And even though he's part of the Imperium, he makes a very conscious and dedicated effort to make sure he's representing all the players. And man, you, what more could you ask for? Yeah. I mean, that kind of sums it up. I think he's always been a really good guest. He's already always been like a really good communicator, um, which I think is both important for, you know, part of why he's been a good guest and also part of why he's such a good uh, CSM representative. I think for for those unfamiliar, it's important to clarify that CSM Brisk Rubal is a different caricature than the meta show Brisk Rubal. Like if if you've seen 
the meta show Brisker Ball and that whole shtick, the kind of, um, I don't know, the kind of way you'd expect that person to behave on a CSM is not what CSM Brisker Ball is. See, I've never seen um, him on the meta show, so maybe that's why I have such a good opinion. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he's... I haven't watched a ton of the meta show. From the ones I've seen, he hasn't been that far off. Not to be confused with Fountain Frank, who, you know, a lot of people say looks like him, but I don't agree. I don't know what they see there, what they see there. But Brisk himself, even when he's in more of a propaganda mode, I think he still carries himself very professionally. But yeah, I mean, he's he's a senior member of a coalition and a coalition that was at war, which heavily featured spin and propaganda and psyop type stuff through, throughout that entire conflict. You know, he's he's got hats to wear and he knows when to take them on and take them off. But it's rare to see him lose a black mark award voting category. But it did happen. Artemis or excuse me, Andy best guest yeah so best guest was beat out by uh a matter of fact his um imperium co-host the matani um so the options were the matani brister ball or ovix tillerin um and matani took just about just over i guess half the votes yeah it was, it was pretty close when you consider the amount of voting power that imperium has and in, in most things that are eve related polling uh, but he and Brisk actually took, you know, a lot closer amounts than I expected. He did win a narrow plurality, though, and I would be hard pressed to say he didn't deserve it because it really was a fantastic episode. Um, I have wanted to interview the Matani on Declarations of the War for ages, and I really want to thank him for finally making that happen. We had a very long, very interesting discussion. If you haven't checked out that episode, please do. I think it was one of our best episodes of 2021. And it's kind of validating to hear the audience agree. Yeah, I mean, I think that's also part of why he was voted best guest, right? Is that that was just also a really good interview, really good questions. A lot of things that I think people didn't hear anywhere else, um, including other, you know, podcasts. Um, And so that kind of unique take, uh, unique information that kind of went out there that wasn't anywhere else, I think is a big part of why um, he won best guest. Artemis. Noir MVP. Yes. All right. Your options were Ovix Tellerin, Akbad. Oh, man, I don't know. It's just Akbad. You guys know Akbad and Delve. All right. Ovix, Akbad, and Delve. It was a very close race. Very close, but Ovix did win. Yeah, both of the Noir polls were fairly evenly split, which I think speaks to the standout years all the participants had. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd have a hard time disagreeing with this one. Um, Akbad, really close. I think Dalv probably would have had a much stronger showing if he hadn't gone AFK for IRL reasons toward like the back quarter of the year. And that was when Ovix and Akbad both had like some really standout work. But I think Ovix's performance during the Alliance tournament probably pushed him over the edge. Yeah, I mean, I think just being Alliance tournament captain like that alone is a ton of work and we did well. And I think that we did well and that's no small part due to him. So I think that that kind of plays out in the poll. Did, yeah. did either Akbot or Ovix win rookie of the year last year? Why is that in my brain? I'm going to have to that's fact check question. that. 
Uh, it's possible. I am going to look it up right now. I think it's, it might have been the Ovix one. Uh, Excuse me, this is our fifth year, not third. I forgot. And Rookie of the Year was actually Tommy McPhee last year. So it was oh, not okay. Ovix, but I believe he was in the running, and I think he did come pretty close. All right, there we go. Uh, and for anyone who's interested, NOR MVP last year, Andy. Hey, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Best CSM and best guest were both Brisk Ball. So Briss actually uh, lost a little bit of ground this year. He'll have to, you know, come on and make up for it. And can Asher I, won FC of the year. And can I file a complaint that Munins were Doctrine of the Year last year too? Like, come <laughs> on, guys. Uh, what has you had a chance. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of repeats actually. Yeah, FC of I the mean, Year, Doctrine of the Year, uh, Best CSM Representative, all repeated. It's crazy. I mean, if you look at just battle reports in general, um, I don't think anything has dethroned um, Munins. So I think that the the poll is accurate. It's true to life. Um, that means that we're um, getting an accurate, uh, accurate representation of the game. Yeah, it's just where the game is, I think. But like I said, I, I think maybe the meta is slow to adapt to it, but I do think there are Munin counters out there that are viable. I suspect we'll see more of them this year. All right, we'll see well, if any of them achieve enough dominance to challenge it for Doctrine of the Year. That'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Yeah, so I think that brings us to our last category, right? Yes, nor Rookie of the Year. Our closest by far, the results were 35.6%, 34.5%, and 29.9%. The options were Erdenhawk, who has emerged as one of our top hunters and soloists, Ot Smarted, a former Razor director who's done some FCing, a lot of recruiting work, and just general being an unofficial director for the European time zone. And Kun Zhang, who stepped up to be our Noir Academy leader after Tommy went away. So Tommy, who I just mentioned, was our Rookie of the Year last year. He's now raising a new family. Kuhn stepped in to take over, did a really good job with that, in addition to just you know being a good FC and uh, pilot in his own right. And the winner, by literally one vote, outsmarted. Uh, you can uh, send me the escalator. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ott was Artemis's pick, and I can easily see why. He's done a fantastic job. It's honestly, it's hard to imagine when I was looking at the polls, like, oh my god, yeah, this is his first year here. Like, at the level of what he operates at in terms of leadership is definitely you know more senior than the amount of time he's actually been in court which is really cool to see yeah and i think um part of that too is like um he's added a lot to eu which has been kind of traditionally the weaker i think time zone in um noir like we've tended to have kind of more u.s pilots more people active in u.s and i think between him um, as well as some of the other people who are in EU, like Thaladio, um, and I'm sure there's plenty of others that I can Ikeo. name. Ikeo. Yeah, there's um, quite a few kind of strong players in EU that have really kind of come into their own and kind of taken uh, command of EU and made EU sometimes our more active time zone, um, which is really cool to see as well. All right, guys, that's it for us. I want to give a shout out to our Golden Elite. Acer Card, Krav, Bodhi, Kestrel, Mark. Uh, I believe we had a new subscriber since I took that list. Let me just double check it. But thank you guys so much for supporting us. 
Um, it, it really means a lot. And if you're not a member of our Golden Elite team, please check it out. Uh, no, that is everybody. Sorry. Um, please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash D-O-W. Declarations of War Patreon. It's the main way that the fans are supporting the show right now. And ever since we've launched on Patreon, the support has been amazing, particularly from those five guys that I just named. Uh, we also have some other subscribers that are not in the Golden Elite, but are no less important to me. And they have become just really valuable parts of our Discord and make things like upgrading the servers a lot more possible. And you know, if we need replacement microphones at some point, that is going to enable us to maintain the same standard of quality for the show. So I really want to extend my thanks to those guys. For the longest time, Declaration Zor has been a labor of love <laughs> with, uh, you know, just basically me paying server stuff out of pocket and pretty much everything out of pocket. So uh, it's really great that we were able to get some support from the fans, and I really, really appreciate it. Andy, any shout-outs? Yeah, so uh, mine will actually go to... Um... I guess I'll shout out uh, both Feral and um, Acer and Krav, who are all three people who um, we've talked about on the podcast before and people probably know. Um, reason being, uh, I, I kind of talked, I haven't been in EVE a ton the last you know few weeks. Um, I've been a little bit burnt out just on EVE content and trying to um, just catch up on some real life stuff as well as just um, you know take a break so that when I come back to EVE, I am refreshed and enjoy it. Um, and so... I've been playing a new game um, with all three of them. So um, there's a game called Mortal Line that just came out, and it's very Eve-esque in that it's kind of mixed sandbox PvP PvE, uh, loot drop, um, and all that kind of fun stuff. And so I've been playing with them a little bit, and it's been enjoyable so far. So shout out to them. Um, I think they're the first people, um, all of them, that I've kind of met in Eve and then gone on to play other games with too. Um And I think that just is kind of a testament to how cool Eve is and how well you build bonds with people because you're playing Eve and it it makes real friendships. So I I just appreciate that. I appreciate having people to try new games with. I appreciate having uh, new friends because of games. So shout outs to them. Awesome. What's the name of that game again? Uh, Mortal Online 2. Very cool. Uh, the servers, it's going through a little bit of a um, New World moment with like uh, three to six hour queues. Um, so maybe wait for it to mellow down. But if you uh, like the idea of kind of like medieval, um, like basically Eve, but medieval setting, um, like maybe, um, what you call it? Um, yeah, I don't know. If you like that, if you like the idea of um, kind of medieval combat, but uh, Eve mechanics. Uh, you might like Mortal Online. Artemis? I would like to give a shout out to Lady Luck for ensuring that I accidentally logged in to the wrong tune, but it was actually the right tune because I saw the notification my structure was going to go abandoned, but I had just enough time to scan my way out of my wormhole, get some fuel, plug it back in, and we're good to go. So thank you. Always glad when that works out in time. All right, guys, that's it. Head to declarationsofwar.com to participate in our show poll. And once again, youtube.com slash C slash AlexiFK to leave a comment on the show highlight. Noir recruitment is back open, uh, particularly direct recruitment we're looking for. We've got some interesting announcements about Noir Academy coming out very soon. If you're on the network Discord, you may have a hint about what's happening, but that's all I'm going to say for right now. 
If you want to hang out with us, your corp is interested in joining the Alliance, or you're interested in joining the corp, come hang out with us in Cafe Nord Dot. There's a link to the Discord as well. Wherever you are, whoever you're flying with, good hunting listeners. <laughs>